Hi, this is Crystal Silas from the OOTW Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 98, The Blues Brothers Movie Review. I'm Chris McBrien, along with Derek Myers, caveman himself, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. You're going to find us on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM for Derek, at C McBrien for me, and popgoesyourworld.com is the website where you'll find all of our contact information. You can reach out to us there as well. Derek, what is new in the world of pop culture, my friend? Hey, Chris. Uh, Not a whole lot new. I haven't had a chance to see any new movies or uh, I haven't really been watching anything new on TV yet. We got a lot of – no, that's a lie. The Good Fight, which is a show I've talked about a lot. It's the spinoff of of The Good Wife. The new season started this week. The first episode was on the other night. It was fantastic. So for anyone who who is looking for something to binge watch, I would strongly encourage you uh, to look for The Good Wife. Uh, which I think ran five seasons, if I remember correctly, and then the Good Fight is the spinoff. You don't necessarily have to go back all that way if you're not if you don't want to commit to that much. But I think this is the start, if I remember correctly, of season three or possibly even season four of the Good Fight. I think it's season three. Uh, super good, high quality. The performances are great. The writing's great. Uh, it is. And it's very topical. It's very politically savvy. It's quite good. So, and is that, that the, that's the one that you told me about that has Gary Cole, right? Yes, he. Cool. So the main character is played by Christine Baranski, and uh, her husband on the show is Gary Cole. So he he's not in every episode. But he he usually has a a pretty decent part, even though it's usually quite small screen time. It's usually significant story wise, and he his character is a ballistics expert. So they often get him to like testify in cases. Very cool. Very neat. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, for me, um, I think I mentioned a, a couple weeks ago about how upstairs uh, at my house I have a Roku stick. Do you remember when I was telling you about that? It's yes. this little USB looking kind of thing. Yes. You put it in the HDMI slot and then it works on wireless and it basically turns your TV into a smart TV for lack of a better term. And it's got all these apps in it. So it just got the standard apps. You know, it's got like MLB TV. If you subscribe to that, you can watch it. It's got YouTube, you know, it's my favorite thing ever. And Netflix, of course. And then it's got a bunch of apps. And like, I think I was mentioning before, a lot of them are kind of crappy. Like they're kind of like public domain movies and stuff that you never heard of. Right. But then I was digging through it a bit more and there's some new apps put on there. And I mentioned a couple weeks ago how there's one for Hogan's Heroes. It's got a whole bunch yes. of Hogan series yeah, episodes yeah, yeah. and it's got, and there's one app for the Bob Newhart show, like the seventies one. And so I watched yep. those quite a bit. Bob Newhart, I really like. And then I discovered a new one that I uh, added onto my Roku stick this past week and it's Bob Ross, the joy of painting. Yeah. No, did, you, did you ever watch that show? No, it looks stupid. <laughs> but I know, and but I, think- I know it has a, I know it has this like cult following. There's a guy I used to work with and, um, he tells me that when he comes home from a tough day at work and he just needs something on in the background, he throws an episode of that on and he just finds it like doing yoga. He just like it's meditative for him. It's soothing. And hey, to each their own, but never appealed to me. I mean, the guy is certainly a talented painter. I'll give you that. But just the idea of this show never, ever appealed to me. You know, that's what I would have thought, too. And I always thought of him as a bit of a kind of a pop culture kind of icon that I didn't really understand very much because I was like, I don't think I ever really watched the show. But I've been watching it sometimes. So a lot of times if my wife goes to sleep, I'll put it on 
because she doesn't want to watch it, right? So she goes to sleep and I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, let's put it on. It's it's actually mesmerizing. <laughs> and, and I actually am enjoying it quite a bit. It's just like your friend said. It's very soothing. It's very calming. And he's unbelievably talented. And there's been times I've woke my wife up because I'm like, oh, my God. And she wakes up. She's like, what's going on? I'm like, I can't believe he just made a mountain. Like out of nothing, like he, and he shades the mountain, like just, it's amazing what he does. And it's just, I don't know, there's something about it. And there's a consistency to it. Every episode is kind of the same. And his, his demeanor is unbelievably calm and peaceful and just the way he talks. And then, and he always uses the same colors and it's like, we're going to use some Van Dyke brown and a little bit of Prussian blue. And we're going to put a little hill right over here. And then he'll be like, oh, oh, there's a little happy accident. We got a little bit of brown there. Let's just make it into a tree. No problem at all. And it's just, there's something about it. It's just, it sounds crazy to watch a guy paint, you know, like landscapes and stuff, but it's unbelievable. So then um, my son uh, came in and he's like, hey, I want to watch this show. This, this. So we, we watch one together and he loves it. <laughs> so oh my God. it's crazy. I know. Now, now Chris, I, I always got the sense yep. that if, if, um, if an adult was watching this show and they had ingested some substances or perhaps inhaled some substances, right. they might find this painting show 10 times better than someone who is, you know, in complete control of their faculties. And based on your description, <laughs> I have not changed that opinion whatsoever. You're it, probably it does, right, yeah. It does surprise me, but sort of not surprise me that your kid likes it. it to me, it, it sort of feels like that same vibe of like, what was that show with the, uh, the, the Teletubbies? Right. Where – like it's a kid's show and it's colors and they're doing weird things and they make funny sounds. But then you have like these stoner college students that watch it and they're like, oh, my God, this is the best so thing good. to watch when you're high. So I got the sense this painting show is very much like that. You might be correct. There's one thing he does and anybody that has ever watched the show knows exactly what I'm talking about. He's got like a like a, a bunch of different brushes that he uses, like, you know, small little one inch brushes that he's got this one big like, I don't know, it's like three or four inch brush is a big one, right? That he uses to like put blue up for the sky and then he'll dip it in paint thinner and then in water. And then he kind of like rinses it off. And then, okay. So there's a big easel that he uses using. It's got these big metal poles. And then he really quickly like goes back and forth with the, with the brush on the, on the, 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 the stand of the easel and goes to get all the water off of it. And there's just something about that, that he does every show. That's just, I just love. And even him, he does it. And then you can see he's smiling. Cause I think he knows like people like it when I do this, you know, like, I don't know. It's, if you haven't seen it, you have, it sounds crazy, but if you have seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I have a follow-up question. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Is it, sorry. His name is Bob Ross. Is that correct? That is correct. Is he still alive? Uh, I don't know. I'd have to look at it. I don't think so. But they're not, sure. not making new episodes, right? Like they had no. their run and that was it. Yeah. They didn't like have a run, no. be off the air for 10 years and then come back for an extended period. Of not time, that right? I'm aware of. I'd have to look okay. it up, but I don't think so. But uh, yeah, you could probably find some on YouTube and stuff like that if you wanted to find it. It was on like, it would, I don't know. I mean, it looks like it was on like, like maybe public access. access. Yeah. Like something yeah. like that. And it just kind of got, you know, PBS or something. Yeah. Got a following, you know, or yeah. whatever. But, uh, but anyway, so go look it up. Bob Ross, the joy of painting. I don't know if it's available on YouTube. I watch it on the Roku, uh, stick. It's got its own app. Anybody out there that has Roku, give it a try. It's a lot of fun, but on that note, let's get started on our movie. 
mean, we love him, we hate him, we agree, we disagree. Freddie Mercury is the greatest singer who, who ever was. He is the greatest singer that ever will be. Some of the things in Freddie Mercury's real life were uh, possibly X-rated. <laughs> there is no way Rocky was a better movie than Taxi Driver. I love this idea. Probably the greatest film that's ever made. And I just picked it on a whim. And we can have a couple beers and we can play Escape from the Death Star. Walking in a winter wonderland. I try to pick something Christmas. This is a Fargan trick question! Okay, so this week I nominated the 1980 John Landis comedy classic. Classic in my mind anyway. The Blues Brothers. Uh, a lot of people love this movie. Uh, it's, you know, got a huge following, obviously, over the years. Caveman, I'll let you start things off. Um, you'd obviously, you've seen this movie before. I nominated this, right? Yeah, so so full disclosure, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, have, I have absolutely seen this movie more than once prior to you suggesting that we give it a watch and, and discuss it tonight. Uh, it, it, I, I enjoy it. I mean, I had previously enjoyed it, so I knew it was a movie I liked. It's certainly not going to make my top 10 best movies of all time, but it's, it's certainly one that... If I'm in the right mood and I see it comes on cable, I'm going to sit and watch it. And that actually is what's happened. That happened to me a couple of months ago around the Christmas break. It was on TV and I was like, hey, you know, it's been a while. And my wife and I sat down to watch it. And, and there's a lot of parts where you sort of like, man, I forgot how good this is. And then there's some other parts where you're like, this is dumb. But I mean, that's the same with so many movies from like, how when did it come out? In 1980? Yes, so 1980. We're talking almost 40 years old now. So you get these older movies. There's parts that are just dated. They they don't hold up. Or things where the comedy has, the, you know, the comedy landscape has changed in 40 years. So there's always going to be a few parts where you sort of look at it now and you go, eh, okay, I, I get what that was when it happened, but eh, not really doing it for me now. But for the most part, uh, I would definitely say this is a movie I enjoy. This is definitely a movie I would recommend to people. Um, I guess one of the big questions I've always thought is, mm-hmm. do you classify this as a comedy? Do you classify this as a musical? Do you classify it somewhere in the middle? And does that really make a difference if you're going to recommend it to someone? Do you tell them that it's a musical comedy or it's a comedy with singing or it's like, how, how would you describe this to someone who was unfamiliar with it? That is a great question. And I've never really thought of that. I think I would classify it as a comedy and because it's not a typical musical quote unquote musical in the traditional sense where people tend to just break out in song in the middle of a scene and the music is incorporated in the scene it certainly does happen in one scene for sure when they're in the diner with Aretha Franklin it's like that's like a musical like that's like watching a traditional musical but a lot of the other scenes like just music happens like they're walking down the street and um John Lee Hooker is playing, you know, or they go into the church and James Brown is playing. Like, it's not so much woven in like a traditional musical where the actors get involved and sing along and it's it's like acting and singing together. It's more like there's musical numbers that happen throughout the movie. So for that reason, and the fact that it's Belushi and Aykroyd and John Landis and it came after um, uh, Animal House and it came before, you know, Landis's other movies like Trading Places. I think I think I would classify it as a comedy. That's a great question. I'd like to know what other people think too, but um, I think I would classify it as a comedy first. So one of the other things that I was thinking um, was, and, and so full disclosure again, um, in preparation for this show, because I had seen the movie before, um, I actually spent a little bit of time doing some extra homework, just looking up. I, I, there was a, a really good uh, documentary on YouTube, a behind-the-scenes making of. It runs about an hour long. And this was one of the things they discussed a little bit was, y- yeah, you're right. It's probably not – well, it's not a musical in the traditional sense, but the movie doesn't really have a score 
like a normal drama would. Instead, there's always music playing in any of the scenes when they're not actually singing. Um, and, and again, the musical choices, even the ones that are sort of background, are very much chosen deliberately to set a certain tone, to to convey a certain sound, to continue with this whole idea of it's really a musical. So it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting discussion. That's a good point. It kind of reminds me of George Lucas's American Graffiti in that sense that every scene kind of has music playing in it that sets the, the 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 sort of the tone for that scene. That's a really good observation that I don't think I ever really thought of before, but it's a good observation on the movie itself. Um, just a little bit of a backstory on the movie itself, because obviously it comes from Saturday Night Live. Belushi and Aykroyd were, you know, in the original cast, and they created the Blues Brothers on SNL. And the funny thing is, is just a little bit of backstory on the Blues Brothers itself. I don't know how much you used to watch that show. You're younger than me. I don't know how much you used to watch SNL. A lot of it I've watched, I didn't watch first run. I watched a little bit first run. I was really young, but I watched um, a lot of it on VHS and things like that over the years, and I've been able to watch a lot of the shows. But they did a sketch. I don't know, maybe started in their second season, and they would do a recurring sketch called The Killer Bees. I was just about to say, you're going for the killer bees here, aren't you? Yeah. And, and you know what I mean? Like they dress up like bees and then they had those, I don't know what are those things called that you put on your head. It's like a, it's got the two like bouncy yeah, things like on fake springs. Antenna yeah, like fake something. antenna. Exactly. Yeah. And they'd wear these and then they had, they would be killer bees, you know, they would, and, and Belushi and Akrit hated it because they felt it was demeaning, like doing these dressing up like this. No so, kidding. Yeah. Go figure. Which it was, right? And so one thing that they did, but Belushi especially, um, and Akrit too, they, they just, kind of fancied themselves somewhat as musicians. And so they were able to convince, um, you know, the producers of the show to let them come out one night and do a song called I'm a King Bee. And they were dressed as the Killer Bees. And um, uh, Ackroyd played the harmonica and Belushi sang the lead vocal for it. And he was wearing kind of these sunglasses. They were like yellow sunglasses. Um, and then he sang I'm a King Bee and the audience really liked it. And they said, wow, this is good. Belushi can really sing. And he was jumping all over the stage and flipping around and everything. And so based on that, then they said, I think we're onto something here. And so then they decided to come up with this idea of the Blues Brothers. And I think they came up with it in Ackroyd's bar up in Toronto one night. They were up there. He had a speakeasy of all things. <laughs> Ackroyd, was, Ackroyd was a bit of a dark character. <laughs> really, yeah. he, he kind of was. He was kind of almost like a biker guy in a way. And he had this speakeasy in Toronto. And one night Belushi came up because Belushi, Belushi liked to come up and like steal people from Toronto for his things when he was with uh, the National Lampoon. National Lampoon. Yeah, yeah, when he was with Lemmings and stuff like that. And uh, they got talking one night and I think Howard Shore was with them and he was the 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 band director of SNL and they got talking and they, they said, Hey, the blues brothers. And then they kind of came up with this idea based on the, I'm a King bee that they did. And then they, it kind of went from there and then they did it one night. It was on the Carrie Fisher show. They did um, the blues brothers and the audience went nuts. And so then they decided, Hey, we, maybe we got something else to do here in terms of a movie. And John Landis had just done uh, animal house in 78 with Belushi. And, um, Decided, you know, hey, maybe we got something to do. And they decided to make the movie. It was the very first movie ever based on an SNL sketch. And so then it was just born. And then they did this movie. But, uh, and John Landis, just one more thing on Landis, if I could, before we start talking about the movie itself. Um, it's so funny how his career went. 
you know, because he did Animal House, like I said, and Animal House was massive. And the thing is, because of the score that they used in Animal House, like they scored it like it was with orchestral music and like Bernstein's score made. It was a comedy. They're like, what the hell is this? It seemed odd. And then with the Blues Brothers is so big. He, to me, Landis, has always been a guy that makes, quote unquote, epic comedies. It's like he created his own genre. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like they're bigger than life. You know, the music in it and everything and the scenes and the, and the, the choreo or not the choreography in this movie, but like the cinematography and things like that. So it's just like these epic comedies and Trading Places had elements of that as well when they start off with the, the Marriage of Figaro and stuff and then coming to America and then his career just died, you know, but uh, this one was one of his best, I think. Yeah, it was definitely, uh, definitely up there for sure. And and you like you said, so you obviously loved it. And uh, what about the music in it? You like the music? Oh, hold on, let's back that up a bit. I wouldn't go so far as to say I loved it. Okay, maybe that's I would overstating say it. I enjoyed it. Okay, so yeah. you enjoyed it. Yeah. Did you did you like? You asked me if it's more of a comedy or a musical. What did you did you enjoy the comedy in it first of all? Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I'm I'm a big fan of SNL in all its iterations, even some of the painful years that uh, you know there was in the early '80s. It had some yep. some failings, and in the early '90s, it had some failings. But uh, SNL to this day is one of those shows that when there are new episodes on, I either watch it live or I watch it like early the next day. Because I got to be honest, some nights I just come home and it's like it's midnight on a Saturday. Okay, that's it. I'm just going to bed. I'm getting old. Uh, but I watch it first thing Sunday. Because partly for me now, Saturday Night Live is uh, part of the social media experience. And so I want to watch the sketches when they're relevant and so that I can participate in the social media discussion. I just I just like the whole um, evolution of the Saturday of Saturday Night Live in, in and of itself. Um, so going back to when I was younger, just like you said, um, the show – is almost as old as I am. So I obviously wasn't staying up and watching it when I was a young kid. I was seeing them like when I was probably 11, 12, 13 years old, I'm seeing reruns of those early shows and, and sort of gaining that appreciation and that understanding of, of what the show was all about. Because by then, you know, I knew who Dan Aykroyd was because I'd seen Ghostbusters. I knew who uh, Chevy Chase was. I'd seen Fletch. I knew who Eddie Murphy was. I had seen Beverly Hills Cop. What I had not seen was where they had started, where they had come from, what had sort of given them that that opportunity to make these movies. So going back to see the Blues Brothers, which is something I didn't see until I would say probably I was like in my late teens or maybe even early 20s by the, when I first saw wow. it. So by then, I, I certainly was familiar with the players. I knew who Belushi was. I knew who Ackroyd was. I knew that this I, – I had a, sort of the broad strokes of what the movie was about. I knew there was a lot of cameos by people who were famous at the time or had gone on to be famous. I knew there was a lot of cameos from a lot of uh, musicians. Um, so when I first saw it, you know, it was – I really did enjoy it and I still do enjoy it. And it wasn't so much for me whether is it a comedy, is it a musical. I assumed it was a comedy given the cast, but I knew to expect that there were going to be musical numbers or songs. You can't make a movie, you know, about <laughs> called the Blues Brothers and not have them singing the blues. Um, and no, I, I, I certainly do enjoy it. I, I think you know what I think it was for me was um, when I was at university. One of the, one of my roommates, uh, I think it was my second or third year of university. This was his favorite favorite movie. And so me being a big movie buff, when we moved in together, and it was like, oh, I've got this movie collection of movies on video and movies on laserdisc, and and I was like, you know, we were always watching my movies, and I would say to him like, well, do you have any movies? Is there anything we can rent, or do you own anything we can watch? I can remember. 
you know, fairly early into the year, he's like, well, you know, I only own a couple of movies, but these are the ones I really, really enjoy. And it's like, oh, well, what are they? He's like, well, Star Wars, which we had probably seen five times by then, and a few others. And then he said, and the Blues Brothers. And I said, you know what? I've never actually seen it. And he's like, well, this is one of my all-time favorite movies. Let's watch it. And we did, and I really enjoyed it. And then I found out that um, – he had had the soundtrack on cassette, and I think one of his brothers had stolen it or taken it. So that year for Christmas, I got him the DVD or the CD rather. Oh, very cool! Of, for uh, the soundtrack for Christmas, and I remember him just like flipping out. And his girlfriend was actually pretty mad at me because she had spent a lot of money buying him like all these gifts. She bought him like I remember she bought him like a <laughs> nice new shirt, and like she spent a lot of money buying him a lot of nice Christmas stuff. And he flipped out over this twelve dollar CD, and she was ticked off that I had sort of upstaged her Christmas. Christmas gift giving. Um, but anyway, that's a whole other story. Man, oh man, that's hilarious. Um, so you liked the movie as a comedy. Um, did you like the musical numbers and the music in it? You got the guy his his CD, but did you enjoy it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, the of all the musical numbers, I think, like most sort of uh, uneducated laymans who, who aren't really familiar with the blues, <laughs> the, the song that always... Uh, stuck with me was the big uh, final number there. Everybody, uh, everybody needs somebody to love. Oh yeah, such. A I love the song. I love the performance. I love how it fit in with the movie. The fact that you've got the Cab Calloway doing Minnie the Moocher as to, you know stall them, stall them while the Blues Brothers get here, and so he does this whole scene, and, which is great in and of itself. And that was a scene I had I had seen many times before because you would have like clips of it where they showed at, at the hockey game a lot of times they would do the Heidi 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 high and then they would get the crowd to repeat it at like sporting events yep. so I, had, I, I was familiar with that part of that scene even before I actually watched the full movie uh, and so that it was a crowd pleaser in and of itself and then you have the big oh you know appearing now and blah 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 and he does the big intro and then they come out and they, they do the performance and which is great and when I, when I did eventually buy my buddy the CD I of course that was the, the one song that I wanted to definitely make sure I had a copy of for, for my personal collection was that everybody needs somebody to love and I still to this day have it on a couple of my uh, I think I don't know if I have it on my phone today but I have it on my old iPod I definitely have it on some of my old mixed cassette tapes not that I have any way to listen to those cassette tapes <laughs> right um, so yeah and then obviously like Aretha Franklin and James Brown and Ray Charles and you know as we mentioned these were like all of these icons of blues music who I maybe wasn't familiar with their catalog but understood sort of who they were and at least understood enough that they were important to the genre important to music um, and this was a good way to introduce someone like me who didn't have that musical understanding or that musical background it's like well we're going to get we're going to wrap it in this nice tidy bow and say here we're giving you this film it stars these actors that you we know you like and it's going to have these comedy parts in it which is what's bringing you to this movie but it's going to have music and it's going to maybe be a, a kind of music you're not really familiar with but we're going to sneak in these really big um, uh, performers to 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 perform these numbers for you so that if this is all you ever see or hear or learn of the blues you're getting it from the best of the best. So a couple things I want to talk about there. I'd like to, to kind of dive into the movie itself in a little bit. But sure. before we do that, a couple things I want to address. You made some really interesting points. So you were talking about how it's introduced the blues to a lot of people <clears throat> that otherwise <clears throat> didn't maybe not didn't listen to the blues. And the cool thing with this music is it's not sort of Delta blues. Like it's more of an urban blues, like from Chicago. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it, and it's very eclectic because if you think what they had, the Memphis rhythm section, but they had all those New York horns. And then they had um, Belushi being from, you know, 
Chicago, right? You know, he he was just outside of Chicago is where he was born. So it just it was such an eclectic kind of blues. Um, and it's interesting that I love the fact that you say it. It, it really helped to introduce a lot of um, people to this kind of music by using really big performers. The funny and sort of ironic thing is, at the time when this movie came out, James Brown and Ray Charles and Aretha Franklin were anything but big performers because they it, they'd almost like run their course. You know, like Motown was done, it was over. 1979, when they're shooting this movie, when they go to produce yeah, this was, movie. Di- that was the day of disco. Disco, right? like, exactly. It was, it was a whole different genre than what Completely. Was it was a completely different world. And these performers, like James Brown and Aretha Franklin, they were basically, they weren't working. They, they were nobodies. They, had, they were washed up. So when the producers called them and said, hey, would you like to be in a movie with, you know, Belushi and Aykroyd from Saturday Night Live? They're like, yep, sign me up. We'd love to do that. And the cool thing was it reintroduced them to a whole new generation, you know, just like yourself, like you mentioned. Yeah. You, how would you say you were like early 20s when you saw this movie? Uh, when I saw the movie would have been, yeah, like probably late teens, early 20s. But like I remember – my first introduction to Aretha Franklin, for example, was um, she had the, uh, a pop hit. I think it was called Freeway of Love yep. in like the mid 80s. Yep. Like that's my memory of Aretha Franklin. Uh, my first memory of Aretha Franklin's music, because to me, I'm listening to Top 40 Radio. And from what I now understand, her appearance in this movie was like jump started her career again and allowed her yep. to reach this. Yeah. Like, good so, point. Yep. So you sort of have to trace that back and go, well, for me, this sort of this next generation. That was my introduction to Aretha Franklin. And then you, you hear like, oh, well, you know, she's saying respect and you understand who she is and her role in, in, in music and the blues and as a, as a female icon. And you, you get all that later. But this is sort of the, the, the half open door where it's like, OK, well, you know, tell me a little bit about this. Let me hear what this is all about. So when I first saw this movie, I was 11 and um, a little bit too young to watch these, this kind of movie. But, you know, it was restricted, but whatever. So I remember at the time we had um, the Super Channel, it was called, and, and they would play like movies on it. It was like yes. one of the first incar- incarnations of like cable television where you paid extra for a channel. Because up until then, TV was free. You know, you got all your network stations for free and you, there was advertising on it, right? So it was free. It's like the radio is. But they had the Super Channel where there was no commercials and you could watch movies all the time. And my buddy at the time, my friend, um, his mom was never home. So we'd go over to his place and we could watch it because she wasn't there to like tell us, well, you can't watch that. That's restricted. So I remember watching the Blues Brothers and Cheech and Chong's next movie on the Super Channel <laughs> at his place. These two at, movies. At 11 years old, you were watching yeah. Cheech and Chong's? Yeah, those two movies stood out wow. to me because I'd watched them both when I was 11. Um but uh, yeah, so I probably should have, was probably a bit too young, but it really affected me. I liked this movie a lot when I, when I first saw it. I still like it now. Um, I like the music. I like the comedy. I like the fact that, you know, there was some, you know, bad words in it and stuff like that. And, oh boy, that was like, you know, it was really cool. Um, the, uh, the band, I just want to talk a bit about the band because just because you were mentioning how, you know, the blues and it's, you know, introduced you to this kind of thing. This, it's very easy to make a movie like this. It would be easy to make a movie like this and screw it up. You know, to have Belushi and Aykroyd, like the, especially Aykroyd, not the greatest vocalist. Belushi was actually a pretty damn good vocalist. But, you know, to take these two guys from Saturday Night Live and say, hey, we're going to put them in a movie and we're going to have them sing this eclectic blues music. You're like, uh, this could fall on its face bad. You know what I mean? It could. Yeah. Um, but the band that they put together was so, so, so good. And it was so funny because Paul Schaefer was the keyboardist on Saturday Night Live at the time in the band. And he was supposed to be the keyboardist for this movie. He couldn't get out of his contract 
with NBC with SNL. So Murphy Dunn ended up getting it, but still didn't really affect it. Like what a great band, man! Oh man, the band was good. But um, anyway, we'll we'll talk about all these things as we kind of weave through things. But I, I wanted to just talk about the movie a bit because, like I say, I saw it when I was eleven for the first time. I've seen it a zillion times since. And just walking back through the movie, like, so obviously the movie opens up and Jake's getting out of jail, like for good behavior. Right. And then that scene with Frank Oz as the corrections (laughs) officer, when he's giving him his belongings back, like it's, it was just so funny. Like, like that whole scene with the the one unused prophylactic and one soiled and all that. And it was so funny because when he did, um, or when John Landis did Trading Places, you know, a number of years later, probably five years after this. Um, he had Frank Oz go in it again, playing a corrections officer, giving Aykroyd his belongings back, getting out of prison when he was arrested in that movie. That's right. Oh, and, yeah. I never made yeah. that connection. And it's it just kind of playing up that same thing. And then it's funny in the Blues Brothers when he gets out of prison and he goes to get in the car with his brother Elwood. And you know both their names right away, even though they have, there's been no dialogue because their names are like tattooed across their knuckles. Remember yeah. letter by letter, yeah. that's how you know. And yeah. then that opening song, She Caught the Katie, is sung by Belushi. He's doing the, the vocals in it. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously they get in the bluesmobile and we hear all about that. And then they go to the orphanage where um, they see Sister Mary Stigmata, the penguin. The penguin, yeah. And they need $5,000 to save this orphanage where they basically grew up. Right. Right. And so they're like, oh, no problem. We'll get it for you in the morning. She's like, no, I'm not going to take your filthy stolen money. And then and then, and then they, they she kicks him out and they run into Cab Calloway, you know, who basically tells them that they need to go to church. <laughs> so so they go to the Triple Rock with Reverend Cleophas James. And it's this musical number breaks out. And it just at this point, I'm like, what am I watching? Because the, the musical number was so good. Like it was but just this is, so, so good. This goes to back to what we were talking about before. This to me is the is the markings of a musical. Yeah. The story goes where it goes, and then all of a sudden, bang! It turns into a song and dance number. Like that's the definition of how a musical works. Like, yeah. You don't see that on on a you know uh, nominated for an Oscar this year. The the dramatic moving performance by blah blah blah. Uh, you know, it's like they're gonna break in a song. That's a musical. And it's funny though, because it's kind of rides the line because like I said, it's not like that traditional musical where Julie Andrews like is like singing a song to the other characters and they're singing back and forth. It's like or it's like Brigadoon or something like that. It's not. It's they go to the church and the priest leads the the, the congregation in a song. So it's 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 very unique. You know, it's very, very unique. But, um, and it's funny, that scene in the church, or I guess I should say all the musical numbers, most, as you probably know, Cave, most musical numbers are done with playback, right? Like they, they play yeah. the music back and you just lip sync because you run around and you just lip sync to it and you can do many takes. For technical reasons, yes. Absolutely. Just easier to, to film, right? Yes. And then you can do it over and over again and just keep, keep going, right? But the thing is, is that people like James Brown and Aretha Franklin they don't sing the song, any song, the same way twice. Right. So how the hell are they going to sing the playback? Like, they just can't. So in this scene, they, they tried, and they they couldn't do it. Like, James Brown couldn't do it. Like, he couldn't sing along. His lips weren't moving the right way because he doesn't sing the, the song the same way. So they actually did playback for, like, all the background singers, one of which was Shaka Khan, by the way. I don't know if you, if you blink and you miss her, but oh, she's there. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And they all did playback, and they recorded him live. So when you, you see that scene, that's him singing live. And the rest of them are all singing a playback because he just he couldn't do it, right? But 
Anyway, just an interesting thing. So then, of course, they, I love it. <laughs> then they leave and they get pulled over. And then they flee the scene, right? And they just drive into the shopping mall. <laughs> and yeah. and this whole scene with the shopping mall is one of the big sort of critical points of the movie. This and a lot of the cop car chases and stuff. Yeah. About how there's just so much destruction. And there's just utter chaos and destruction going on in this. Because, again, you're watching this going, okay, it's kind of a comedy. Wait a minute, it's a musical. Now it's like, a, like just a destruction movie. Like they're driving into a shopping mall. Like... It, at this point, you don't know what the hell you're watching, right? Yeah, it's it's a little bit of everything, and I think I think you you're going to have a wide variety of theater goers coming to see this movie, and maybe not necessarily fully realizing what they're going to get. So I think almost you need some of that stuff in there to keep everyone's attention. Oh, you came thinking this was a musical? We're going to give you some musical. You came thinking this was a comedy? We're going to give you some comedy. You're not really sure you like either of those things? We're going to give you high-speed car chases. And, uh, you know, over-the-top car crashes, demolition derbies. Uh, you know, it's, it's almost like they went, okay, how do we sort of mesh some of the best things of all these different genres together to keep the movie cohesive in a way that will keep everybody entertained and keep everybody in the seat until the end of the movie and not have someone go, okay, I've been here 20 minutes. I've seen three musical numbers. I'm not interested. I'm out. That's not what I signed up for. So I think you almost need some of this over the top just to, uh, to really tie everything together. The movie was really critically panned when it came out. And I think it's for that reason, because the critics didn't know it's not a musical. It's not a comedy. It's not like a big epic car crash movie. Like it's like all it's trying to be too much, maybe. Maybe that was one of the reasons they had, because like I say, most critics did not like this movie when it came out. But back to that shopping mall for a second. So the cool thing was, is that when they go to shoot this thing, like you could tell they're driving through a shopping mall and crashing it. Like this is not a sound sound stage, you know? And they were in Har- Harvey, Illinois. And, and I've traveled to Chicago probably at least 12 times in my life. And I've, I've, st- I've been in Harvey before. It is not a good part of town. <laughs> it is a bad part of town. But I guess down in Harvey, they found this old abandoned shopping mall. And so they just went in there and dressed it all up and made it look like it was, you know, functioning, right? Because it was nice and easy. It was this old mall. And so they put all these stores in and then they just brought the cars in and started driving <laughs> Driving them through, you know, windows and, and right down the middle of the, the thing. And they brought all these stuntmen in to run out of the way like they were shoppers. Like, it's just insanity. It's insanity. I love during that scene where he's got the line where he says, I'm like, a lot of space in this mall. Yeah. <laughs> New Oldsmobiles are in early this year. You know, yeah. they Pier 1 Imports. And they're just yeah. like. <laughs> just commenting on all the shops. And all the, stuff, like, yeah. the stores that he yeah. sees. Yeah. It's so funny. And then. So they get out of the mall. And then you think, okay, I got time to breathe here. Like, what the hell was that? Right. And then the cops just track him down to their apartment. And right before they arrest him, Carrie Fisher comes from out of nowhere and blows the hell out of the building. And you're you're like, what the hell? It just gets demolished, right? And then, so then they just get up and walk away. They're not even hurt. And they just go off to find the the band members, right? And so they get Murph and the Magic Tones, which is like Murphy Dunn and Steve Cropper and Donald Duck Dunn and Willie, Willie Too Big Hall. And then they go, I like the scene too, when they go and get Mr. Fabulous. At the Shape Hall, where the soup is and ten dollars, <laughs> and they just—he's like, "I'm not, I'm not leaving. I've got a good job. I'm not leaving. I'm not going to come and play in the band." So they just act more obnoxious to try and like make his life so bad that he just finally just decides, "Okay, well, I'm going to get fired, so I might as well go and join the band, right?" And then 
the next scene is one of my favorites because they run into the Illinois Nazis. <laughs> like, yeah. just when you think you've seen it at all at this point. Oh, no, no, no. We got more. There's an Illinois Nazi party that's marching. And so I know the Blues Brothers are going to go and piss them off by knocking them off the bridge. <laughs> and so they're just, it's just, I don't know, there's something about that scene that I just find incredibly funny. Because even the cops are like, oh, man, these Nazis, they won their their court case, right? They're they're able to, to, to go out here and do a protest. And then they're like, I hate Illinois Nazis. <laughs> like, what? Not I hate Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. <laughs> like, like they're a special kind or something. I don't know. But then, the, uh, uh, yeah. Sorry, you were saying the scene where they were in the restaurant. Yes. Uh, I found that reminded me of uh, a scene that, although I had I had seen it before, actually came later in the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, Where they good go point. to the restaurant and he pretends to be Abe Froman, the sausage king of Chicago. Yes. Uh, and they, they bluff their way into the really expensive restaurant. So Ferris Bueller's a movie I love. I've seen it at least 30 or 40 times I could recite all the dialogue backwards and forwards and having seen that movie that many times before seeing the blues brothers, but understanding the blues brothers actually came up, you know, many years earlier when I saw that scene in the blues brothers, I sort of went, Oh, I wonder if the scene in Ferris Bueller, like it, it, there's enough sort inspired. of reminiscence that it's yeah. like inspires it. It's an homage. It's a little wink, wink. Um, you know, I wonder if there was any sort of overlap between some of the creative process and that. Anyway, maybe it's just a coincidence. No, I think that's a really good point. And um, so, so anyway, so they, they leave the Illinois Nazis and then they go to the scene where you, they, you were talking about where they go into the diner to get Matt Guitar, Murphy and Blue Lou. Yeah. And he's there with Aretha Franklin. And for, for I don't know, I was going to say it's my favorite song in the movie but it's not there's it's coming up but it's so good and i and think that was an old aretha franklin song right she just redid it for this movie i believe it it was an old one one of her old songs that she had done years and years earlier but i, I couldn't tell you I, I that makes sense but yeah i mean i just i don't i'm not familiar enough with her work to be able to comment on that but that would make sense but this is the first time in the movie where it's actually a quote-unquote musical like it's actually yes. like the traditional Hollywood musicals where the characters interact with each other and sing and are singing to each other. Like she's singing to Matt Guitar Murphy with the yes. lyrics. Like, you know, yes. you know, and she's telling him the story about, you know, you better think before you leave. You better think before you do this, you know. And so that's the first time it's kind of like a quote unquote musical. But uh, and, and the interesting thing we talked about playback. So, again, in this scene. When they go to shoot it, Aretha Franklin doesn't sing any song the same way twice. So, but they did playback in this scene with her. They just shot her from like ten different angles and edited it all together just to kind of make it work. Because yeah. because if they would have just had one camera on her, it just wouldn't have worked. She would have just been all over the place. She wasn't in her lips wouldn't have synced up, you know, with the with the playback. But uh, but great scene. And then it goes on to probably my one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It definitely has my favorite song in the movie. And that's when they go to Ray's Music Exchange. You know the one I'm talking about? Oh, the Ray Charles, where they do the big outside dance number? Yes, Shake Your Tail yes. Feather. Like, because yeah. they're like, oh, this, you know, this, this keyboard doesn't have any action left in it. These, the, you know, these instruments are no good. He's like, hold on a second. And I don't know where that song came from. I don't know. I'd have to do some research on it. I should have done it for this. I, 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 I chastise myself for not doing that. But that song is unbelievable. If, if that song doesn't make you want to jump up and move around, I don't know what will. Like, it is... It might even be one of my favorite musical numbers of all time in a movie. 
Like, it's just wow. so, oh, it's so good. And Ray Charles is just, like, it just, it makes you want to just get up and dance. And everybody's dancing like crazy and all these different dance numbers going on. There's people outside, they're on the bridge and everywhere else dancing. And then, of course, you know, Ray takes an IOU at the end of the scene. I just love it, too. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, they go to try and book a gig and Carrie Fisher shows up again. And I love Carrie Fisher. You know, and we, we love her, obviously, Princess Leia. What's not to love? But the thing is, you know, you got to, when you think about it, she never really appeared in a whole lot. You know, I mean, Star Wars, obviously, this. She was in Amazon Women on the Moon, but I think that was after the final credits of that movie. She was in the first Austin Powers movie, and that's about it, she right? She was in When Harry Met Sally. Oh, yes, she did. She had a part in that, too. That's correct. And she was in an episode of Laverne and Shirley once, too. So there was that. I, I, I'm shocked that you know that, Chris. Shocked, yeah. I tell you. Can yeah. you sense the shock in my voice? <laughs> but yeah, as much as we love Carrie Fisher because she's Princess Leia, she didn't really do a whole lot in front of the camera, you know. But but like she appears obviously in this movie, and then obviously tries to kill them again, and then on they go. Does it unsuccessfully? And yet at this point, the the funny thing is, you still don't know why. You're like, why is she trying to kill them? Like, who yeah. is this person? Why is why is Princess Leia trying to kill these two guys? Like, it's just... And again, you think about it at the time. Really, she was... Star Wars was really her first movie, you know? Yeah. And all of a sudden, now she's in this. And you're like, why is Princess Leia trying to blow up the Blues Brothers? What the hell's going on, right? Um, but then there's a scene when they go to Bob's Country Bunker. And they pretend that they're the good old boys. And they go in there and they have to play in front of the, the chicken wire. <laughs> and, oh, and I love, love that scene. I love they that just scene. keep playing Rawhide, the theme from Rawhide over and over again. Well, yeah, because they get they get in there, they realize these people want them to play country music. And they're they're playing like urban blues, right? So they're getting booed off the stage. So yeah, they play Rawhide and Stand By Your Band over oh, yeah, and right. over yeah. and over again all night long, one after the other, because those are the only two country songs that they know. So they just play them over and over again. Because when they first got on stage, remember they were playing um, Give Me Some Lovin' by Spencer Davis Group, Steve Winwood's first band before he was in traffic, right? And the, the audience just goes insane. But uh, then anyway, so then uh, they go and obviously they set up their gig. And then that's when it comes into a couple things you mentioned before. Um when they get to the Palace Hotel Ballroom, then they play that song, I Can't Turn You Loose. It was um, originally Otis Redding. And that's when they're introducing him. And they come out on stage and they do Everybody Needs Somebody. Originally done by Wilson Pickett. And these guys, these producers know their stuff because Wilson Pickett, I remember he used to, um, he used to come out on stage and he'd wear a suit and tie. And he kind of looked, like I can see where the Blues Brothers are kind of inspired by him. And the one thing about Everybody Needs Somebody, I should just say right now, uh, one of my all-time favorite karaoke numbers to do, by the way. Really? Yes. I used okay, to always Chris, do that. Okay, you and I will have to do that at karaoke sometimes. You're I'm a good a singer, aren't you? I'm a karaoke guy, but I, I would do that for sure. You are like an – you're a good singer from what I remember. Uh, I like to think I am. You and I, a number of years ago, I remember got together and we played some rock band and I was like, holy sh- this guy can sing. So we will definitely have to go and do some karaoke together. We've never done that. But this is one song that I do at karaoke, and I just love doing. Nice. I'll do anything from the Blues Brothers. I would do this. I've done She Caught the Katie before. I just, oh, I love this song. This this song is amazing. What a great number. Now, and if then, can, Chris, if we can do a karaoke, and we start with Everybody Needs Somebody Loved by the Blues Brothers. Yep. And then we do The Holiday Rap by MC <laughs> <laughs> Well, those are my two songs. What are you going to do? It. 
drop mic. Peace out, yo. We're done. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what song would you do if we go to karaoke and do that? Jeez, I don't know. Put me on the spot. I have no idea. But you, you, it's funny because you can sing, but you don't do karaoke, right? Uh, no, not not my first choice of things to do, but I, I have no shame. I am not afraid of getting in front of a crowd and embarrassing myself because uh, I really don't feel like I embarrass myself. And uh, so, yeah, I, I got nothing against karaoke. <laughs> I figured. Um, so um, what was I going to mention? OK, so then they get done that song, right? And they go into Sweet Home uh, Chicago. Yeah, that is an amazing song, too. God, there's so many good songs in this movie because that was originally done by Robert Johnson, like back in like the 30s. And then I love how halfway through the song, they just get the band to just go like instrumental and then they just duck out. They, like there's yeah. like a trap door behind the drum. <laughs> they just get the hell out of there. Right. And they run into the guy that gives them 10 grand like toward. Uh, uh, he's like a record executive. And he gives right. them 10 grand toward an album. And then they they get him to give it to some to the band, some to raise music exchange. They take the other five grand and they go to the Cook County Assessor's office and then the next scene that I just want to mention is Carrie Fisher again, because they run into her in, this, in the tunnel. Exactly. She's in the tunnel. Yeah. Wait a minute. She's got like an M16. And right? that's when you find out what's going on. And then that's when, yeah, they yeah. finally find out like she she's uh, Jake's ex and he left her at the altar. Right. And that's why she's turned into this like vengeful would be assassin. The, the thing I like about that scene, though, is that Belushi, in order, he's trying to like he's begging for his life. And it's not going to work. She's got the M16 on. She's going to kill him. And he takes off his son, his sunglasses, right? To try and like influence her. Yeah. And it's at that point in the movie, you realize, holy mackerel, these guys have gone the whole movie wearing sunglasses. Like, like that's insane. And, and the thing is, when they went to make the movie, it, this really upset the studio execs. Because who makes a movie that you can't see the movie star's eyes? Yeah, how do you how do you uh, how do you market the movie around the two stars if you, it's hard to recognize them because they're wearing these glasses? Exactly, and you don't yeah. really notice it until that scene when he takes off those glasses. Like, holy smokes, there there he is! You know, like unbelievable the movie. And then it just goes into this like massive chase scene. Like they got the cops, the military, the good old boys, and Bob from Bob's Country Bunker and the Illinois Nazis. Everybody's chasing them, and that car crash scene like when they're chasing them they they basically destroy downtown chicago how the hell do they do this you couldn't do that today no no for sure like they're, they're speeding they did it all on sundays and stuff like that but still and then how did they convince people to let them crash into the richard j daly plaza like they drove their car right into the front lobby of it they like convince people to do it like it's just insanity you know, like I think there was some uh, mafia connections actually involved in the production of the film that they actually were able to kind of lean on, like get, I guess there were some people in the mafia in Chicago that kind of leaned on the mayor's office to allow this to all happen. It's kind of like an old urban legend maybe in the making of the movie. I'm not sure, but they, they drove their car right into the lobby of the Richard J. Daly Plaza. Unbelievable. And then, of course, I'm sure you caught this as well. When they go in and they go upstairs to pay the $5,000 before they get arrested, do you remember who was playing the county clerk? Did you catch who it was? No, I, did, I didn't recognize him. Steven Spielberg. Really? Yes, Steven Spielberg is the county clerk who takes their money and, and stamps the tax paid right before they get arrested really? in the jail. Yep. He must not have been wearing the glasses. That's probably what threw me. No, he was. He was wearing a pair of glasses. Jeez. Yeah. I, and I'm he's a... eating a sandwich. Because remember, they, they run up, they finally get up there, and it's like, 
out back to lunch back minutes. in five minutes. And they're like, yeah. oh, my God. And then he comes and he's like eating a sandwich. Hey, guys. And then they come in because, you know, he would have been friends with Landis probably, I guess. Yeah, I would think. You know, he would have been friends with them them too because they um, they just got done shooting 1941 together, right? Belushi. That's true. So yeah. maybe that's why he did it. But uh, all in all, I don't know. The movie's been critically panned at times, but I love this movie a lot. I really, really, really love this movie a lot. I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm glad that we did this. So if you you said you don't love it, I do love it. And this movie has a special place in my heart. I think, first of all, because I first saw it when I was 11. And it, well, I shouldn't have been seeing it when I was 11. <laughs> a little bit naughty. <laughs> don't be watching it. And the fact that even at that younger age, like I, Belushi and Aykroyd were, they were bigger than life to me back then. Like, the, you know, there wasn't, it wasn't like now where you got like a million different things you can watch, you know, on uh, you know, Netflix and everything else it wasn't a whole lot to watch, right? And they were really, really popular in 1978. You think about it when um, Animal House came out, Belushi had the number one movie, he had the number one TV show, and he had the number one album because they produced a Blues Brothers album, Briefcase Full yep. of Blues. This guy was all over the place. He was everywhere. And and I loved Blushy. I thought he was great. And I remember going to the movie theater to see um, Continental Divide. I loved it. My wife to this day says it's one of the worst movies she's ever seen. I loved it. And I remember going to see Neighbors with my friend. I guess we were probably 11 or 12. And we went to the movie theater to see it. And his dad had to take us because it was like they had a different movie rating system back then. Yeah. They had adult accompaniment. You had to have an adult take you. So yep. you could you could get in. And I remember he took us. And I remember even at the time thinking Neighbors was dumb. But I just loved it because Belushi and Aykroyd were in it. But nothing like this. If, so you didn't love it. But if you had to rate the movie, could you give it a rating for me out of 10? Sure. I mean, I, I, I liked it. I just I didn't love it. Like, I'm not giving it an A+. I would give it, like, a solid B. Maybe a B- or a B. Okay. That's fine. So I, would, I would certainly, like I said, I've seen it more than once. And I would certainly watch it again. But... If it was on TV right now against, you know, five or six other things, it would serve, it would, it's unlikely it would be the one that would make the top of the list. I think I, I think I would give it an A and it, because it, it's, I also like, a, like some things that are original, you know, and to me it's unbelievably original because it's, it's a comedy, but it's also like an epic movie with lots of big scenes and crashes in it and everything else. And it's got music in it. It's, it's completely, completely original. It's also got a little bit of a dark kind of um, bent to it not just because they wear dark clothes and sunglasses it's 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 a little bit of a dark movie at times and I just I like it I like this movie a lot it's one of my favorite comedies I think of all time and I can't believe it's taken us almost 100 episodes to get around to watching it but that's the way things <laughs> go around here anyway so um, anyway on that note how what do you say we have some fun with caveman all right over to you my friend take us away what have you got for us this week all right so Again, knowing how much you love, love, love this movie, there was no point in me trying to give you trivia about this movie uh, because you probably would have just answered all of it in the last 40 minutes of discussion. And I knew that. So I I had to take this in a slightly different direction. Okay. uh, But not too much of a different direction. So uh, as we've mentioned, as you've mentioned, the Blues Brothers was based on characters that had appeared on Saturday Night Live. That's correct. So I want to talk a little bit about other movies, including this one, that have spawned from characters and sketches that first appeared on Saturday Night Live. Oh, that's a that's a good idea. Okay. Okay. And, and now I know that you 
are a fan of SNL, particularly the older SNL. So some yeah. of these questions may not uh, be as obvious to you as they are to someone like me, as I've just mentioned. Like, I never miss an episode. So uh, for me to get these questions from you, I would answer all of them and, and you know, probably have no problems at all. So I, I, my intent is not to make these overly difficult. And I think a lot of our younger listeners will probably get these before you will. But hey, man, that's just the way it is when you don't watch anything past 1985. So yeah. anyway, so that, <laughs> my intent is not to embarrass you, but we may end up embarrassing you a little bit. You probably so, will. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So uh, this, this first one is, is probably one of the toughest questions I've got. Okay. How many movies have they made that have been based on Saturday Night Live characters and sketches? Oh, man, that is a Including great... the Blues Brothers and the sequel Blues Brothers 2000. We're counting those as both. Okay, so those two, there was Wayne's World and Coneheads. Wayne's World 2. Then there were some newer ones, like, was Superstar was based on it, right? And, and I guess the Roxbury was. So I will say six. I'm probably missing one, so I'll say seven. Uh, you would be way under. The number is <laughs> eleven. Oh, God. Eleven. Okay. So out of uh, are you going to run so, through them for me? I will, but that's part of my follow-up questions because okay. I knew you wouldn't get them all. So they made eleven movies based on Saturday Night Live character sketches, recurring characters. Okay. Of those eleven movies, how many do you think actually made money based on the budget they had and what their worldwide uh, revenue was uh, the Blues Brothers would have made money. Wayne's World would have made a lot of money. Um, Wayne's World Two probably made money. I said Coneheads probably bombed. What else? Is, Blues Brothers Two Thousand probably bombed. Night of the Roxbury. I don't. Know, I think of it as a bomb. And then what did I say? Superstar Two. I don't know. I'll say Superstar maybe made uh, maybe I'll say it lost money too I think so I would say Blues Brothers and Wayne's World and Wayne's World Two so I'd say three of them made money. So you're both right and wrong. So those three did make money. Right. Two more movies actually made money. So five out of eleven is the answer I was going for. Okay. And then my my follow up to that was can you name any of the top three? You got the top three. Oh, okay. They were Wayne's World. Then the Blues Brothers, then Wayne's World 2, as far as comparing the budget they had versus the, the money they made. Wayne's up. World was a big, big hit. Wayne's World that. was huge. It, it was had a $20,000 budget, yeah. and it made almost $200 million, Yeah, it was big. Which is obviously a big part of why they uh, said, yes, we're going to make a sequel. For the right. sequel, they doubled the budget to forty grand, So it ended up making about $10, $10 million, uh, <laughs> Pardon me. I said uh, uh, grand. It was $20 million budget the first 40 million budget the second and uh the second movie made about 48 million so uh it made the second made one made money. money not nearly to the extent of the first one but the first one was so good you know mm -hmm. if you can cap capture lightning in a bottle twice let's go for it so uh, what other ones other, made money the other two movies that made money superstar uh budget of 14 million made 30 so double and a night at the roxbury had a budget of 17 and made 30 oh so, so it made money double. Yeah, the other ones were all uh, pretty bad. Some losing quite a bit of money. That all right, surprise me. So, at, at some point, are you going to tell me what they all are? We'll get to that. I'm sure. Yeah, I'll get to that. Okay, so, cool. There's a bunch of the ones that we haven't covered yet. I'm going to give you a brief synopsis, a one sentence synopsis of this of the movie, and I want right. you to tell me if you can tell me the title. And if you can't, I'll give you the name of the actor or actress okay. that is lead character as a as a hint. Okay. Yep. In no particular order. Okay. So. Um, this movie is about a would-be self-help guru 
as he attempts to help his deeply troubled family and his low-rated public access television show. Can you name the movie? I'm trying to think. I, 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 for some reason, The Love Guru is coming to my mind with Mike Myers, but that was not based on SNL. Wait a minute. Was um, Al, was Al Franken. Franken. Al Franken made the movie. Um, yes. Was it Stuart Saves His Family? Yes. 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 I remember that. That I, movie was awful. It was a bomb, wasn't it? It was a bomb. I just found out today that was directed by Harold Ramis, which I had no idea. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it had a budget, a, a low budget of uh, six million, and it didn't even make a million bucks. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. It is the second worst grossing movie of of the list of eleven. There was one worse than that. Oh, I'm dying to know yep. what this is. Yep. All right. Uh, so a couple of these you already got. So I'm not going to give you these ones again. Okay. Here, this one. Uh, this movie is actually a parody of an action-adventure television series from the 80s in which the main character uses his knowledge of science to solve complex problems by making things out of ordinary objects. That sounds Can you like... name the Saturday Night Live movie? That's... Oh, there was... That was... That, that, you're describing MacGyver. And the, I remember I there was... Uh, oh, I, I, I stopped watching SNL at that time. There was a character they did on there, and it was like MacGyver-ish kind of thing. I don't remember the name of it. It, it's, it was kind of like MacGyver. It was kind of a play on that name. Is that right? That That's as close as you can get without getting it right. It was MacGruber. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I stopped watching it. When did, when was that? About, about what time? 2010 was the movie. Yeah, that makes... I wasn't watching SNL at that point, so yeah. Yeah, Will Forte had the title role of... Oh. All right. Uh, uh, MacGruber, by the way, was uh, nine out of 11. It uh, had a $10 million budget and it made just under $10 million. It almost broke even, <laughs> but not quite. And they're apparently making a sequel. Oh, that's just See, ridiculous. Now, I was oh, reading on this today. Man. They are in the process of, I think they have the script and they're just putting the money together. So, uh, all right. Uh, one more here. Uh, this movie focuses on the exploits of a suave, self-proclaimed sex therapy expert who gives dubious romantic advice and lovemaking tips during his radio show. I want to say, oh, I remember this kind of, there was a buddy of mine that liked SNL around this time and it's, oh, what's the guy's name? I can see his face. Tim Meadows? Is that yes, right? Yes, 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 yes. He did. It was it called the Ladies Man? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember my buddy Grant liked yep. that movie, and I was like, "Oh, I'm not going to see that stupid thing." Yep. Yes, okay. I remember that thing. I never. I don't even think I ever once even saw that sketch. I didn't watch SNL probably late '90s right through until today. Haven't yep. really seen it. So, Ladies Man came out in 2000. Heard about it. Yep, heard about yep. that. Had a budget of 24 million. Made about fourteen million, so it lost about ten million bucks. I do not believe they're making any sequels to this. Nor should they. <laughs> but uh, hey, Tim Meadows got a payday out of it, so why not? Uh, and then we already talked about Night at the Roxbury and the Superstar, so I'm not going to give you those two. So just uh, the the absolute worst movie the, uh, from a from a dollars and cents point of view. Right. Uh, the number eleven out of eleven is. It's Pat. Oh, God. Yeah, I, I remember hearing about that. That's what was her name? Was it Julia Sweeney? Yes. She had like a like she it was like it's androgyny. Like and they made a movie out of that, didn't they? Oh, I forgot all about it. Yes. Oh, so, so it had a budget of eight million bucks. Nobody went to see that movie, did they? Sixty grand. <laughs> <laughs> it lost over seven million dollars. Oh, almost it lost almost eight million eight million. It made yeah. sixty thousand dollars. <laughs> I, I, I guess uh, she has a big family. You realize there are movies that make more than that in one screening on one oh, yeah. screen. 
Yeah. Jeez, nobody so I'll run down the list movie. for you real quick here, Chris. So there's 11 <laughs> movies. I've got oh, them listed man. here in order from most successful to right. least successful. And I think we've covered all of them. Maybe we've missed one. So I'll just read down the list. Okay. So starting at number one, Wayne's World. Yep. The Blues Brothers. Right. Wayne's World 2. Okay. Superstar. Night at the Roxbury. So those are the five that made money. Then Lucy- Yeah, that Superstar and Night at the Roxbury, they were kind of popular in like the late 90s or something, right? Yeah, Superstar yeah. was 99, Roxbury yeah. was 98. I didn't really uh, And that. both of them had Will Ferrell. Uh, Night at the Roxbury, Will Ferrell was one of the two brothers. And in Superstar, Will Ferrell had a uh, – he was in it. He wasn't the star of the right. movie, obviously, Molly Shannon. But you, and, and I think that by that point in SNL, Will Ferrell was already starting to become a pretty big star. So people were going to go see the movie as long as he was in it. So I think that certainly helped. That certainly helped it, yeah. yeah. Good point. Uh, and I'll admit, I've seen the Night at the Roxbury. I have not seen Superstar. Uh, OK. Then we get into the uh, remaining six movies that uh, – or yeah, that did not make money. Uh, Coneheads, which you've already mentioned, The Blues Brothers 2000, The Ladies Man, MacGruber, Stuart Saves His Family, and at the bottom of the list, It's Pat. It's Pat. And no. Coneheads, the problem with Coneheads was, when did it, what year did it come out? It was, uh, it was, 1993. Yeah, it was the early 90s, right? It was it was too late. Like, the Coneheads yeah. was popular in, like, 77. You know, like, they, yeah. they waited too long to make that movie. It's so stupid. Like, oh, man. I the, actually I, enjoyed the movie, though. Yeah, see, I, I've never seen the movie. I I remember the the sketch was pretty was pretty good at times, because I remember they they had like Balzar and then the Connie was like the daughter or something, and it was pretty good. Beldar, 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 and then yeah, and Connie, and and yeah, it was it was pretty good. But I mean, it's like that. Why did they make a movie about that though? You know, I mean, it, it already run its course. It was like almost well, twenty years old. Come out the year before and have been very successful. So they probably went okay. What yeah, else good point. That's exactly what would have happened. You're right. You're right. Wayne's yeah. World came out, made all this money. Like, hey, we got to make another movie based on SNL. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so uh, I got a couple other questions for you. Yeah. Not so much trivia questions, just more let's get to know Chris questions. So, Oh, these uh, will be fun. I like these. Okay. So based on Saturday Night Live, recurring characters, recurring sketches, if you had the power to greenlight a movie based on any Saturday Night Live recurring sketch or character, what would you like to see that's never been done before? Oh, that's a great question. So this would have to be one that, yeah, that's never been done. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think it would make a very good um movie but i there was one character that i loved from back in the 70s and that was um dan Aykroyd did this character called erwin mainway do you know what i'm talking about not he, based on that keep going okay though, so he he was this guy he was like this really cheesy kind of like pitch man that would like sell these products oh, was that like bag of glass bag yes of yes and it was like okay. yeah it was like oh, this is the new uh halloween costume it's called invisible pedestrian invisible pedestrian yeah. <laughs> So that would always struck me. I don't think it would make a very good movie, but uh, that's a really, really good question. I think if I could answer that truthfully, what I would like to see, and I think a lot of people would agree with me, if he were alive today and he's no longer with us, I think Belushi doing a samurai movie would would be what I'd like to see. Yeah, that would certainly work. So I, I, I kind of have to hedge, you know, and kind of fudge my answer on that one. But I'd like to see – it's too bad they didn't make a, a movie with Belushi doing the samurai character. Just to show his origins, you know, and all that kind of thing. It would be yeah, kind of cool. for sure. I'll you give know? you that. Yeah. Um, you, you could almost argue that uh, Beverly Hills Ninja with, with um, Chris Farley might have sort of pulled on those strings a little bit with when they were conceiving of that movie and sort of saying, well, let's look at sort of what Belushi had and – 
and 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 be inspired by that. Right. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Uh, okay. Last question I got for you again. Another yeah. sort of getting to know Chris kind of question. Based on all of the people who have appeared on Saturday Night Live in their main cast at any point in their career, what's your favorite movie starring anyone who's ever been on Saturday Night Live? Oh wow! I would and pop- you can use these eleven movies we just talked about, but think see if you can think outside the box a bit. Or or yeah, or it could be any any other one. I think I might have to probably. Ooh, that's a good question. I probably have to go with Animal House. With Belushi would probably be my that's favorite fair. one. I think I think that would be that would be my answer. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that one. I would say Animal House for sure. I would think for me, I'd probably have to go with Ghostbusters. Oh, Ghostbusters is pretty good too. Um, or Chris, we overlooked the obvious one of Caddyshack. Yeah, Caddyshack is good. Stripes is another one with Bill Murray, and Meatballs is another one with Bill Murray. There's so many to pick from, but I still yeah. think of even of all those ones, Animal House to me, I still like that one a little bit more. So I think I would go with, I think I would go with Animal House. Well, even as we're talking right now, I have the TV on in the background. I can yep. see Happy Gilmore is on, and I mean, this is a nice. good pick too, right? Saturday Night Live. I, enjoy, I actually Live. enjoyed that, and like I say, I didn't, yeah. I didn't like you were. You made a good point because SNL kind of really ebbs and flows, right? And it was never as good as it was when it first came out in the seventies. I don't care what anyone says. And then right after that first Bane cast left, God, it hit rock bottom with like Charles Rocket and Denny Dillon and them, and then. Piscopo and, and Eddie Murphy kind of revived that a bit and brought it back up and then it dived down again, but then it really made a comeback with um Dana Carvey and 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 that and Mike Myers and that crew and they were pretty good. And then I don't know, since then I haven't really watched it a whole lot. I know my um when uh, Will Farrell was on and stuff like that, it was pretty popular, but I never really got into it then. And I certainly haven't watched any recently. To me, they they, they do a lot of political stuff, which I don't mind. I'm very political, but um, I find a lot of the political stuff they do, it's not really satire. They're just basically rehashing what's exactly happening. I mean, yeah. the news itself is satire at this point with what's going on in the States. So it doesn't really need to be sent up. You know what I mean? Whereas <clears throat> I like some of the earlier stuff better when they would do like um, Jimmy Carter and stuff like that, where it would be like Ackroyd playing Jimmy Carter and stuff like, yeah. I don't know, or, or Gerald Ford. And then they would just play it as themselves. They didn't try to look like the, like the, the president. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's been a long time since the show has been really good. But um, yeah, to go back to the question, I think it'd be Animal House. That's a really good question. I like this this line of questioning. Kind of questions that get us to know each other a little bit better. Yeah. Very, very cool. Say, let's good let's add this to the fun section. Uh, yeah, so more often. Forward. Yeah. yeah, more often. I like that. Okay, so that was your last question then. Um, do you have a, um, a movie that you want me to watch uh, for next week? By any chance? I do. I, well, uh, so after last week's episode where we talked about movies we've never seen, mm-hmm. there were a few that you mentioned that I, I absolutely have to get you to watch. But okay. I, I already sort of had a list together of some things I wanted to, to put in front of you before that. So uh, I, I will give you the heads up that both Alien and Aliens will be on the list in the future. Okay. So we'll, we'll come back to those down the road a bit. Um, I, I actually – Normally, before I, I nominate a movie, I ask you if you've seen it like before we start recording because I don't necessarily want to give you – I know you haven't seen a lot of the newer, newer movies. And so the last thing I want to do is give you a movie you've already seen. I I don't think you've seen this movie, but if you have, we're going to do it anyway. OK. That's fine. And it's so, fine. Like I, I, I nominated Blues Brothers and you'd seen it. It's, yeah. It's more yeah, just yeah. about like kind of an old movie that I like and let's just talk about it. And if there's a movie that you like, let's talk about it. It doesn't matter if I've seen it before or not. I'll go back and watch it again and we'll we'll rehash it. 
Sure. So uh, part of the reason this made my list is it was actually on uh, one of the movie channels a couple of weeks ago. And I, I just turned it on for a minute as I was changing the channels. And I was like, oh, yeah, hey, I haven't seen this in a while. I sat down, started watching. And the next thing I know, I watched like the last hour and a half of the movie because I just couldn't pull myself away from it. I'm like, wow, this movie really is good. And it really holds up. I felt really holds up. And we'll talk about it more next week. The movie is American Pie from 1999. Okay. I have never seen it. Okay, so when you watch it, yep. I want you to sort of keep in mind the kind of movie that it that came before it. So you you and Yancey watched Revenge of the Nerds. Yes. So think of it – now, obviously, Revenge of the Nerds takes place at a college. Mm-hmm. American Pie is high school. But I think you could get a sense of the people that created the American Pie movie in 1999 were probably heavily influenced by movies like Revenge of the Nerds from the early 80s. So give American Pie a watch. We want I want you to watch the original, the first one. They did a couple of sequels. They did a couple of spinoffs. We want the first one from 1999, American Pie. I think that's a really good one because to me, I've, I've said this before on the podcast, like I love all these classic comedies like Animal House and, 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 and the Blues Brothers, you know, and things like that and Stripes. And, and to me... I, like I mentioned earlier in the show tonight, um, Coming to America was what to me was the last kind of great classic comedy that came out of that kind of underground comedy movement that was kind of born out of SNL back in the 70s. And that was the really the last one. And for a while there, for a couple of years, I, I think you could argue between 86 and, you know, 99, comedy was kind of a dead art form. And then American Pie, it seems like they were really trying to recapture some of that kind of teenage kind of sex comedy, you know, rude, crude, but funny stuff that was going on in the 70s and 80s. And I guess we're going to find out how well they did when I get a chance to watch it. And uh, we'll come back next week and talk about it. So that's a good one. Okay. We'll talk about it next week then. Absolutely. So we'll come back next week. We'll talk about American Pie. Uh, Until then. I will say, uh, if you want to reach us on Twitter, you will find Derek at Amaron underscore DM. You'll find me at C McBrien. McBrien is I-E-N. You can always go to popcojureworld.com. All of our contact information is there. If you enjoy the show, make sure to head over to iTunes and leave a review for the show. We would obviously really, really appreciate that. But until next week, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying, thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. Music.